0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. If you're new here, we've been doing a series in our church for quite a while now, uh, a series called Together, and we've been looking at different elements of both divine and human relationships, so the vertical and the horizontal relationships that we're all in. And uh, the last two weeks, because we're coming up to a marriage conference, we've been talking about marriage. And so did, so today I have a marriage message for you and if you're taking notes the message is just marriage revive your love and I want to talk about revival and in particular revival in our marriages. Now before I move on from that before I get into what I want to share if you're a single person here today or you've been through a real painful divorce or or you know you're considering remarrying, or you're looking to marry. You're, you're you know with somebody right now that you want to be married to. Or whatever age, whatever stage that you're in, the thing that I want to encourage you with today is that most of the principles I'm going to be sharing actually are effective and true in every human relationship, friendships, family. These are eternal principles that work no matter where you apply them. So I think that's really important because I don't want any of you that are here and maybe, you know, maybe you're just like, oh, great, a marriage message and, you know, and another one of those and, oh, boy, that's awkward, that's weird. Um, let me just encourage you to hear it with the ears of how do I relate to the people around me in my life? How do I relate with, with anybody that I interact with on a daily basis? And then use these same principles because they're, they're solid and they're sure because they're from Scripture and uh, most of what we're going to read today is what Jesus himself had to say. Amen? So my opening text is Jesus speaking to the disciples, and he's answering a question that they had about marriage, about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And, and he says this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so what we see here is that in marriage, God makes a man and a woman one. He makes them one flesh. And He doesn't want anything, any human being, any demon from hell, He doesn't want anything to tear that union apart. And so as we learned last week, God has good intentions for our marriage, like one thing we can count on, if we're, if we're in a marriage and it's difficult, we're having a really hard time relating, maybe we're in conflict, maybe we think it's not going to work, we need to understand something. We have somebody in our corner that's fighting for us and his intention is for good. And if we can endure with his help and get through the season that we're in, we're going to find out that as we get on the other side of it, God's intention was good and he was working for us he was in our corner and how many of you know if god's in your corner you're on the winning team every time the second thing we learned last week is that god is committed to the success of your marriage romans 8:31 says what shall we say about such wonderful things as these and paul is talking about all the wonderful things that come with salvation All that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, forgiveness, love, adoption, being in the family. Um, He's talking about our justification before God and the fact that none of it is because we merited it or worked for it. It's all by grace. And, And he says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God be for us, who can be against us? And so that's just to further, you know, drive home the idea that even if you've got People opposing your marriage, even if you've got family, not an agreement, even if you've, let's say you made a bunch of mistakes in leading up to it, or you're in your marriage now and it's rough and it feels like you have all these things arrayed against you, life circumstances, finances, wh- whatever. You can be sure of this, God is for you and for your marriage, and he's going to fight for you. Amen? Now, before I get into some of the other things I want to share with you today, I thought it would be really good to hear from Tim Hawkins. And Tim Hawkins wants to share some thoughts with us on communication in marriage. And here's some some good communication tools. So let's go ahead and roll that video. Somebody said, oh, no.
1: One of the conflict resolution tools they teach in marriage is ask questions. When you have a disagreement, don't just start spewing out what you think. Make it worse. Ask questions. Try to relate. Make it better. I used that last week. My wife and I got into a disagreement. It got hot. It got heated. We started to fight. I stopped myself right there. Start asking questions. Honey, why are you being a psycho right now?
0: It's okay to laugh.
1: Men and women text differently. Like, when men text something, it's just a couple of words. Send. That's all I had to say. I have nothing left. I'm tapped out right now. When I get another thought, I will send that out to you. But right now, just a couple of crickets playing racquetball up there. (laughs) But women, when women text, what are you doing? Oh, you look like a squirrel holding a nut. You're like, yay. I got a carriage return on your phone this is my text to her right here hello my darling how you doing today send and that's when the floodgates open now I'm going to read you her response Good, I'm just so tired. Went to chiropractor. I'm super tired through shoulders and mid-back, so he loosened that up. He said, it sounds like my brain isn't shutting off for some reason. I asked him if it would be from playing electronic games before bed. He said, probably so. He said, try that. Have a sip of wine before bed. If I don't sleep good next week, come back and try acupuncture. Smiley face. I'm feeling very draggy, but still Jack and Stacey, so it could be in the air. Have a Jackson played Xbox before bed, so he could have the same issues. So I text back, okay.
0: <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> actually it was just okay that's all it was i don't want to overdo
0: it get a blister
1: or something
0: so uh let me just say to all the men in the room don't ever do what he said don't don't, don't ask that question why are you being a psycho right now that is probably not a good lead-in into a conflict amen Um, I wanted to give a little levity because I'm going to be getting into some stuff that that kind of uh, pushes some buttons this morning. And I noticed even in the first service I could tell, uh, and you know, one of the things you have to be careful of when you preach or you teach or you stand in front of people is that you don't look at people's faces too much because a lot of times you can misread people's faces very easily. But the other side of the coin is is that sometimes when you're looking at people's faces and you are noticing a number of reactions on their faces from what you're saying, they are telling you something for sure. And in the first service, I noticed a lot of people, y- you could tell husbands and wives were sitting there. Nobody wanted to break out the elbows, you know. But you could tell there was a lot of thoughts going on upstairs. So, so a lot of times in messages like this, we smoke stuff out. And we're not able to cover everything in a balanced way. We're not able to give, you know, all the, yeah, but what about this? We, we can't cover all of it because we're limited in time. So I just want to encourage you as you listen this morning, let God speak to you. And where He's dealing with you, don't be afraid to look at it and face it and then do your part to fix it. Amen? Amen. Look at it, face it, do your part to fix it. Amen. So the first thing I want to start with today is some Mythbusters. I want to break up some myths because I've noticed something over the years, and that is that there are Christian cultural myths about marriage. There are things, especially in the church, that we buy into. We buy into a lot of idealisms, a lot of ideas that are more fairy tales than reality. So here are a few Christian myths myths that I want to break. I want to be a Mythbuster. How many of you remember that TV show, Mythbusters? I loved watching that years ago. So the first one is this. The first myth is that you can have the fairy tale, perfect, ideal marriage. You can have the, the fairy tale, perfect, ideal, I should insert, Christian marriage. Now when I say those words, I know most of you that are sitting here are like, come on, nobody actually believes that. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, they do. I've sat in marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling, but I thought it was, and I, and, and, but, but, no. We come into this marriage thing so many times with ideas that are not, first of all, they're not biblical, and secondly, they've been more created by our fixation on romance novels and Hallmark TV and movies and and we, we've been conditioned by a culture and social media, fake social media, couples, married couples who have the ideal perfect life. And we 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 look at this stuff and we buy into it and it's conditioned us to believe that there are fairy tale marriages out there. And I just want to tell you, fairy tale marriages don't exist. The idea and they all lived happily ever after is bunk and bull and baloney. Okay? How many of you still love me. Do you know, I cannot think of one ideal marriage in the Bible, for instance, one ideal marriage in the whole of Scripture, one love story that I can look at in the whole of Scripture and say, that to me is what I want it to be like. I can't find one. And I I was preparing this message and I, I started going through marriage after marriage in the Scripture and looking in Old Testament and New Testament. And the thing that shocked me and amazed me is I couldn't find one marriage in the Bible that I could look at and say, that's what is the perfect Christian marriage. I could see a lot of marriages where people had moments of incredible beauty and bliss and love and also... Anger and conflict and struggle and loss and pain and ups and downs, I saw all of it, the full gamut of human experiences and emotions, but I could not find the perfect Christian marriage. And I did a little experiment. I asked all of our staff pastors and I asked my wife. I didn't let them know what I was going to be, you know, what I was doing. I just said, tell me, um, can, can you think of any marriages in the Bible that are kind of like, you know, the, the, the model marriage, the ideal marriage? And to a person, you know, like, like my, my wife said, well, you know, there's, there's a, like Joseph and Mary is a really beautiful story. And I'm like, it is, it is. But is it ideal? No. Running for their lives, going through conflict. And then when Jesus is an adult, Joseph isn't there anymore. So somewhere along that journey, Joseph died. And I mean, they, there's some stuff here. And, and all of the staff pastors and my wife, we came to the conclusion that there is not an ideal Fairy tale marriage in the whole of the scriptures. That should tell us something. That's God's way of saying it's messy, but I'm redemptive. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. Amen? Secondly, if you marry the right person and you do everything right, you're guaranteed the right or good outcome. Right? People are complicated. Have you ever noticed that? People can shock you and surprise you even when you think you know them your spouse can shock you and surprise you even when you think you know them certain circumstances can come upon a marriage trials can come upon a marriage difficulties can insert themselves in a marriage i mean just think about this one having children right you you start having kids and everything changes in your marriage and, and the reality is, is that a lot of us, we kind of go into marriage as Christians, and we think, okay, you know, I really prayed about this, and we got counsel, and the family's in agreement, everything's lining up, the stars in the heavens are lining up, angel choruses are singing, it must be God, right? And, and so we think, because it's God, because it's the will of God, and it seems like it lined up, therefore, the outcomes are going to be wonderful, we're going to build this life together that is ideal And it can be in a Hallmark movie. And then you end up finding out after you get married that it's messy. And that that person ticks you off sometimes. And they say and do things that annoy you every day. And your tongue is bleeding all the time from biting it. Or maybe you don't. Right? And so that's the reality. The reality is is there are no guaranteed outcomes. Ultimately, duty is ours. But results and outcomes belong to God, and there's another party involved too. Amen. You got quiet in here just like the first service. You see, we have sin. We're sinners. And listen, not just they, but you and me. And we live in this world that's broken and messed up. And so we've got, you know, we've got all kinds of things happening around us that are fighting against our marriage. Do you understand that we live in a society and a culture right now that is fighting marriage in general? So we've got that aligned and arrayed against us. Okay, my last myth. Romantic or early new love is what we need to get back to. That's the myth. The idea that the way it was in the beginning. You know, fluttery heart, Twitter pated, you know, can't, I I, I gotta get, we gotta get back to that. And here's the problem, is that in a society that teaches us that love is all that we see in a romance novel or on a Hallmark movie, in a society where that exists and that's kind of the backdrop to everything, we are set up with expectations that make it almost impossible once those feelings are maybe not there to to think, how can I stay in this? I mean, think about it. We've been taught that if you don't have feelings for this person like you once had, and it's got really difficult and hard, and you're not happy, the answer is, get out, move on, and try again. And that's what the society has taught us. So, when you lose the spark, you lose the quote-unquote flame, give it up, quit, It's not worth it. And then we talk ourselves out of it and we come up with all kinds of things like, for instance, well, maybe we weren't ever supposed to be together in the first place. I must have made a mistake. Because I've lost that loving feeling, I must have made a mistake. But the truth is, the reality is, is that love is different. Love changes. Love matures. Love grows. Love takes on different elements. The initial love we have, the attraction that we have, with most people when we get into a marriage relationship is, is a Greek word eros or eros or where we get the word erotic. And it's the idea of romantic chemistry love, right? That attraction, that drawing that makes us want to be with people and, and that heightened sense of, of physical and emotional connection, right? And we think that's the height, that's, that's the greatest love there is. But we see in Scripture there are many other kinds of love too, there's storge love, love, love of the family, that sense of caring for one another, like a family cares for one another. There's phileo love, that, that love of brotherhood, of friendship, of sisterhood, that love that comes from a deep connection with somebody, and that happens in marriage as well, and that particular kind of love even begins to affect the other loves, but the greatest love of all is Agape. Agape is God's kind of love, the love that Jesus Christ demonstrated when he came to planet earth and he spent the entire life that he had on earth pouring himself out for the sake of the other and then ultimately hanging on a Roman cross and dying for our sins and then rising from the dead. That self-giving love that says, your benefit at my expense, your benefit at my expense, that love is so necessary for marriage to become what God created it to become. And that love affects all the other loves. It affects eros. It affects storge. It affects phileo. It feeds them. It flows over all of them and it makes all of them mature and grow up. And here's the problem. So many couples get out before that ever gets an opportunity to develop. They quit. And so maybe you're there. You're like... I feel like I've lost that loving feeling. I feel like our marriage is really struggling, and I don't know what to do. And first I want to tell you, don't try to get back to that. But God can revive your love. And I want to talk about how do you revive your love. How do you revive your love? So if you're taking notes, here's my first point. Point number one, realize, and I have several R words here. So realize that love is a choice more than a feeling. And choose to love with your actions. Okay, now you all know 1 Corinthians 13, 4, most of us, and and through 8, most of us have plaques in our house with 1 Corinthians 13, right, the love chapter. I want to say before I get into this, I I want to just tell you that the love chapter is impossible for you to live in your own ability. So it's a nice ideal, but as soon as I start reading it, you're going to be like, oh, uh, that's not me and that's not me, and that's not me, because what, you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, and so the only way you can live out that kind of love is if you let Christ live out through you, and that's what the life of the Christian is. It's God living out His life through us, Jesus living out His life through us, amen, which means we're going to have to be trusting Him, going to Him, relying on Him, or we're not going to be able to love the other like they deserve to be loved, so 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, look at it with me. This is in the NIV. It says, love is patient. How many of you recognize right away? Already failed. Maybe you're on your way to church this morning. Kids were annoying you, and your spouse wasn't getting them ready like they were supposed to, and you knew you were going to be late, and the stress level was coming up, and you could feel your face getting red, and you're like, we're going to be late for worship. I hate doing that. And you're, you're going out the door, and it's all happening, and then you turn around and just, ah, nah, 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 nah. You bite a couple of people. and Everybody's laying around bleeding, and you're like, okay, it happened. So, love is patient. Love is kind. I don't have time to go through all these, but I just want you to think about the word kind. Do you know kindness is so powerful? You ever notice when people are kind to you, how it affects you? You ever notice when you're kind to someone else, how it affects them? The Scripture says a soft answer turns away wrath. There's something about kindness. You know, I was reading as I was preparing this message a number of things on marriage and studies on marriage, and a couple of different studies showed two two qualities that they found existed in most marriages that were successful. And here were those two qualities, gratitude and kindness. Isn't that interesting? They found that where couples regularly showed gratitude to one another for their contribution to the marriage relationship and where couples were regularly kind to one another, used kind words, were were intentional about speaking kindly, they found that those marriages were healthier. Maybe the healthy marriage led to the kindness and the gratitude, but I think it's kind of one of those things that both elements play into the other, right? When you're kind, you beget kindness, right? when you're filled with gratitude, gratitude returns. And I'm not talking about using these things for manipulative means. I'm not talking about, you know, saying how thankful you are because you want something. I'm talking about just developing the habit of recognition, the habit of noticing when your spouse does something that benefits your life and you say thank you for it. You know, because we take each other for granted all the time. Isn't, kinda, isn't that what marriage is? Marriage is two people who initially notice everything awesome about each other, and they're telling each other because they're in love. And then they get married, and they quit pointing out the day-to-day stuff that's benefiting their life. What if you just started being kind and showing gratitude to your spouse again? Okay, I'm getting way down here. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. Rudeness. I, I see couples in stores sometimes interact with each other, and I, I, ju- I want to intervene, but I don't want to get punched in the mouth, you know. So I just bite my tongue and walk away. But I just want to say, quit talking to her like that. You're a jerk. But I don't. I don't say it. But I think it really loud. Right? It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. I I feel like you're talking about a marriage relationship here, don't don't you? Um, It keeps no record of wrongs, yikes. Love Love doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now I know, listen. You can't do that. I can't do that without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I bet if we just got up every day in our marriage relationship and we said, okay, we pulled out 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and we said, today, Lord, help me do this with my spouse. And then we practiced, I'm not going to keep record of wrongs today. Every time she does something that annoys me, I'm not going to be like there's five. There's ten. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to release it. Because marriage requires the choice and the hard work of agape love. I love this little story by Deborah Johnson. She says, my seven-year-old daughter wanted to take violin lessons, so I took her to a music store to rent an instrument. Hoping she would understand the importance of practicing, I explained that violin lessons were expensive so she would have to work really hard there may be times when you feel like giving up I said but I want you to hang in there and keep on trying remember she's seven years old she nodded and then in her most serious voice said it will be just like marriage right mommy (laughs) you might want to give up but keep going It be just like marriage right mommy secondly Remember the character, so the first was realize that love is a choice more than a feeling. Second is remember the character qualities in your spouse that you once admired and that first brought you together. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, again, a text that isn't specifically speaking about marriage and it's kind of a funny text, but look at this with me, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, and Jesus is speaking about judging, about judgment. Judgment. And he says this, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, uh, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Wow. In your own eye. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You ever notice when you're first courting the person and dating them and you're feeling like God's really bringing you together that you can't seem to see too many faults or maybe you see them, but you choose not to be impacted by them, right? You ever notice that? People say it all the time. Love is blind. No, it's not. Actually, love sees more clearly. See, we got it backwards. We say love is blind. Love goes, love goes, I can't see that, I can't see that because I don't want to see it. Love doesn't do that. Love sees it. But love looks beyond it. And love sees who this person really is. Love sees the treasure in them, sees the potential in them, sees what they're going to become. You have this ability when you really love somebody to look past their faults. You have this ability when you really love somebody to see clearly. But then after you get married for a while, you're walking around with logs in your eyes and you can't see clearly. And so all of a sudden, specks are ticking you off. But you got a log. And so what ends up happening is big character flaws in your own life that need to be addressed can't even be seen by you, but you can see every little fault in your spouse. And the only way to deal with that is first of all to repent, right? Say, God, forgive me for being so judgmental. Like, I hold that person at a standard that's through the roof, but my own expectations for myself are down here, right? That can't work. We've got to remove some logs out of our eyes, and then if there is a speck in their eye, now we have the ability to remove it. Because it's a funny picture, isn't it? I love Jesus uses such great word pictures. I mean, just think about it, how hilarious it would be if I had a big plank or a log coming out of my eye, and I'm trying to reach over to you and get the speck out of your eye, and every time I go to get the speck out of your eye, the log goes bang and hits you right upside your head. I don't even have the ability, I can't even reach you because that log is hitting you every time I get close to you. You see, my character flaw, that area of sin, that problem area in my life, it's, it's affecting you every time I'm trying to address you. Right? But if I can remove that, now I'll see if you even have a speck in your eye. Maybe the speck that I thought you had in your eye was because I had a giant log in mine and I couldn't see you clearly. Amen? You still love me? See, when we see a person through the eyes of love... We see who they really are. So remember the character qualities in your spouse that you once admired and that first brought you together. Sometimes I'll ask couples that when they come to see me. I say, "What, what? when you guys first came together, what was it about each other that you really were attracted to? Other than she's hot, you know. <laughs> right? What were you first attracted to? And it's really cool. People will be like, well... I just really love that they were very open and honest with their thoughts and their feelings. But now they don't talk to me at all. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. But you saw it. You saw that in them, right? Number three, repent and do the things you did at first. Revelation 2.5 says, remember therefore from where you have fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. Now, this is Jesus talking to his church, but how many of you know Jesus is the bridegroom? The church is the bride, and he's telling the church, if you want to get your love for me back, you've got to repent from where you've fallen or, or remember from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Do what you did at first. Repent means to change your mind and turn around and go the right way. If we've turned our hearts from our spouse and we've quit doing the things we once did to show our love, we have to turn around and begin to do the first works again, right? And that means we pursue, we talk, we date, we court again. We we do those things we did in the beginning. I had a brother come up to me after the first service weeping, and he said, you know what? I don't do any of the things I used to do for my wife before we got married, and right after we got married. I don't do any of them. I don't take care of myself. I, don't, I, I am not doing any of the things you brought up today, and I realize today I've been critical of her, and I've been mad at her, but I don't do any of the things that caused her to love me in the beginning. And, of course, you know, what are you going to say to that? No, no, it's okay, brother. And I'm like, hands off. Well, sounds to me like the Lord's giving you some assignments, right? Come on. Number four, romance one another like you did in the, fir- in the early days. Get out of town, have special nights, light some candles, bring her flowers, have a date night, cook some good food, right? The Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Uh-oh, I'm going to quote from the Song of Songs. Hold on. I didn't get one of the really sketchy texts, don't worry, or I should say spicy texts. Listen to this, verses 10 and 11. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past, and the rains are over and gone. You know, sometimes we have to recognize that our love has been in a winter season and that God wants to bring us into a new spring. Amen? Amen. Some of you married couples need to turn around and look at each other and say, spring's coming, sweetheart. (laughs) You do. It's time for spring. Right? A new spring. Sometimes we need to say, rise up, my darling, or whatever your pet names for each other, babe, sweetie, whatever. Rise up and come away with me. Let's, let's go spend some time together. Let, let's, let's, go, let's go romance each other. Look into my eyes, darling, right? Okay. Number five, rebuild the broken emotions, promises and love that's been damaged through neglect and anger by getting outside help. Rebuild by getting outside help. Listen, if you're at a place where you can't talk to each other, get a third party, get a counselor, get a mediator, get somebody involved, get help. It's worth the investment. It really is go and see a counselor it's worth the money because truly it's an investment with eternal rewards get the help you need to unpack the baggage and heal it up at first it'll be difficult to face it but it's worth it and let me just tell you something some people wrongly assume when they go to a counselor that what's going to happen is they're going to sit down with the counselor and the counselor's going to say a few magic words wave a kind of a wand over them and brong and everybody's going to be happy and they're going to be kissing and hugging each other and it's all going to be good. Instead, what happens is you go to see a marriage counselor and what do they do? They sit down with you. They start asking you questions and the next thing you know, they've smoked out all of your stuff in your own life and towards your spouse and you look at that and you walk away from it and you said, they're not a good counselor because they didn't fix us. No, what they did is they brought your stuff up and until you're willing to face it, and embrace it and then work through it you're not going to be able to get restored and healed up and that's the pain of therapy, of counseling, of getting input is is they're not going to tell you what you want to hear they're going to tell you the things and show you the things and help you see the things inside of you that are actually ruining your relationships and hurting your relationships so that you can deal with it and get it healed and get it out of your life and cause you to be the spouse you need to be So listen, it's going to be hard, and it might cost you some money, and you might have to sacrifice some other things you do in your life in order to fix your marriage, but your marriage is worth way more than your hobby. Your hobby's important, but it's not that important. Your marriage is worth way more than the money you spend on frivolous stuff. If it means you lay down some frivolous stuff stuff to fix that marriage and spend money to do that, then do it. It's worth it. It will affect generations. It will affect a hundred years. You don't realize this. Your marriage is going to affect a thousand years from now. Work it. Get in it. Do what you got to do. With God's help, obviously. I'm almost done. Reestablish a life mission together. You know what a lot of couples need? They need to do something together that's meaningful outside of just their work that is actually helping other people or making the world a better place. Even if it's small, do something together that makes a difference, that counts in somebody's life. And lastly, the most important one, revive your relationship with God together. You know, I, I notice something every time, and we don't do it often. I'm, I'm, we don't have the ideal marriage. Peggy and I will have a Devo time about once a week. We'll talk about the Lord and things all through the week, but about once a week on Friday on, our, on my day off, we'll get up in the morning, have our coffee, eat breakfast, spend some time talking, and then we'll get into Scripture. We'll share something we're reading that's impacting us, and, and then we'll get down, literally get down on our knees at our sofa, and we'll pray and we'll pray around the world. We'll pray for every one of our children and our grandchildren. We'll pray for our city. We'll pray for our church. Sometimes we'll pray for our staff. We'll, we'll pray wherever the Holy Spirit leads us. Sometimes we only have time to spend about 15 minutes in prayer, so we won't do all that. Other times we'll, we'll begin to pray. And I notice something happens. Something really profound happens when we pray together. Like, like it's different than when I pray alone. It seems like the words come easier and something's happening we're we're tracking she's finishing my prayers she's praying what's in my heart we're becoming one in spirit because really marriage is becoming one in spirit soul and body right and so revive your relationship with god together pick a small achievable goal one time a week we're going to get together and we're going to read scripture and pray start there We're going to take 15 minutes and just be together. If you can do more than that, do more than that. But but pick something small and achievable and realize God's going to meet you in it. It doesn't mean there won't be warfare against it. I'll tell you this. You have an adversary that doesn't want you to pray with your spouse. I'll say that again. I'll tell you this. You have an adversary that doesn't want you to pray with your spouse. Or discover God together. Learn of him together. But revive your relationship with the Lord because the Lord is near He's here right now. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in your marriage, even in your frustration, even where you feel it's not happening, even when, when, when some of you are hopeless right now. I want to tell you, God wants to revive your hope and revive your marriage. Amen. Isaiah 55 6 says, this, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. He's near right now, right here. He wants to meet you.